Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wright, says thank you for listening. Single Drunk Female is a television series starring Ali Sheedy and Sophia D'Elia that takes on sobriety with humor and heart. The show was filmed in Atlanta and has been picked up for a second season. Later this hour, City Light senior producer Kim Drobes speaks with the stars and creator Simone Finch. Plus, speaking of the arts, our series of visual artists in their own words, today featuring the Roswell-based abstract artist Paula Brett. First, civil rights hero Fannie Lou Hamer will be celebrated in a new play opening at Kenny Leon's True Colors Theatre Company. Fannie, the music and life of Fannie Lou Hamer, is a one-woman show about the life of the legendary activist who led a movement for black voting rights and raising awareness of poverty in America. The play is on stage from June 14th through July 10th. Playwright Cheryl West and director Joy Vandervoort Cobb join me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. When it comes to the civil rights movement, Fannie Lou Hamer deserves name recognition with the likes of Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Please give us some background on this important civil rights leader. Well, Fannie Lou Hamer, you're exactly right. I knew about her. I had heard about her at school, when I was in school, but she is certainly not at the level of people being familiar with her as we are with some of the other icons of the civil rights movement. And yet she put her life on the line for the civil rights movement. Some of that has a lot to do with that women were often taken for granted, but actually did a lot to support the movement and were also on the front lines as leaders. And Fannie Lou Hamer, as if she was anything, was a dynamic, incredible leader. Oh, brilliant. 
And, you know, I wonder if some of it wasn't also classist, snobbery. She didn't have formal education, though she was brilliant. And reading about her, seeing documentary films on her, brings out how unfairly she was treated when it seems like a no-brainer that she should have been center stage and a focus for the movement. Well, she was fond of saying, I only have a sixth grade education. Certain organizations that she found somewhat elitist uh, would look down on her. There were Black and white people who looked down on her because of her sort of speaking in the vernacular, not getting her verbs and nouns to agree all the time. But again, she could rouse thousands. She could get people excited because one thing she could say, I've lived it. What I am talking about for poor people, I have lived, I have overcome, I have worked, I have talked to them. So she never put herself above. And one of the things that people we talked to who knew her always said, she treated everybody the same, whether they were the cardinal, or a field hand, she would mm-hmm. go and treat everyone the same. It's dignity. Little, dignity. Yeah, she, dig, dignity. And she didn't like a lot of fuss. She did not appreciate elitism. And she would just bring it on down to, hey, I'm grassroots and I'm proud of it. Mm. Yeah. I would like to think that the grammar wasn't as important as the message more people should have paid attention to. How does this play take us through the life of Mrs. Hamer? Is it chronological? Somewhat. It does move back and forth in time. And the music helps because Fannie Lou Hamer would always sing at her meetings because she felt that United Voices were key to success in the movement. Because when someone is hitting you or beating you or traumatizing you, to hear someone else's voice on the line with you would give you spirit and courage to keep going. I remember 10 years ago today, as I had walked about 10 or 12 feet out of Winona Jail, Reverend James Belvey informed me that Metka Evers had been shot in the back. It was six of us that had gotten out of jail in Winona. Some of us wasn't able to sit down. But I keep saying, Burley, and keep asking God, to hold my hand, Charlie Evers, because I know if he hold my hand, everything will be all right. Precious Lord, take my hand. So music is essential 
to telling the story of Fan Luhamer. Absolutely. I think there are 13 songs in the in the show. Oh, so, wow. Yes. And the actor who will perform the role of Fannie Mae, I know in Sarasota last year, the role was played by Ife Butler. Will she be in the Atlanta performance? No, we really wanted to get an Atlanta-based actress. Her name is Robin McGee. Ah, well, it will be no small task for her embodying the powerhouse that was Fannie Lou Hamer and singing 13 songs at the same time. Mrs. Hamer is famous for saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What was the context in which she delivered that unforgettable line? I think that for me, I always thought that it was in terms of the pain and the the sort of abuse that she took. And, you know, people would tell her, just hang on a little more time, which people tell us now about racial justice. Just take a little more time. It's coming. It's coming. You know, and she and she said, but. I'm tired and my parents got tired and I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that as activists in this country, that's the other part that we don't get to hear sometimes is that you put your body, you put your mind, you put your spirit on the line, but you get tired because the the assaults don't stop. I mean, Look at what's happening right now in the country with Roe versus Wade. I mean, it just continues. And as a Black woman, she had it from being a Black person, being a poor person, and also being a woman. So those type of biases and corresponding assaults continue throughout her journey. Cheryl and I talked the first time we met, and I shared with her that having read the script and falling in love with the script, it was a nice reminder to me because I'd already been exhausted that I don't really have the right to back away from activism just because I'm tired, because the change is still necessary. The change is still necessary. And to look at Ms. Hamer's life and all that she went through, I mean, bullets with her name on them that did not get to her, but beatings that did, worrying about the people she loved and was connected to. But it is exhausting work. And she did use her voice, as Cheryl said, to often encourage, not just enjoin, but to encourage and to keep people moving forward. She had to be tired. This woman was extraordinary. Oh, my, yes. And that famous saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, for me personally, is equal to Dr. King saying, we have waited long enough. Do you think that's appropriate for me to think? Yes. I think that, especially right now in the country, there's such a lack of hope and cynicism. And I think that we want something to happen 
that shows, first of all, a United country. Fannie Lou Hamer was always talking about United States. She was an incredible patriot. And the sense that how long do we have to keep beating the drum to have people hear us? So I, I do think that there is a sort of parallel from the statement of by Dr. King and Fannie Lou Hamer's famous statement. Enough. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes, and my guests are director Joy Vandervoort Cobb and playwright Cheryl West. Their production of Fanny, The Music and Life of Fanny Lou Hamer, premieres at Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater next week. Cheryl, you have described this show, The Fanny That Could, because it just keeps going. Yes, yes. With with that (laughs) nod to the little engine. Yes. Please tell us how productions of this play have exceeded your expectations since they began. Well, when we first started, we did a workshop. It was a co-commission with the Goodman Theater in Chicago and Seattle rep here in Seattle. And when we first started out, we had anticipated doing the production 19 or 20. So we did a workshop in at the Goodman. And I mean, it was just electric, the audience. And so the Goodman and immediately said, we're gonna program it for our season. And then the pandemic hit. And so everything stopped, right? Mm-hmm. But then, my wonderful director at the time, Henry Gudinius, said, well, you know, if we can't bring it to the Goodman, let's take it out to the people. And he got it working and he said, let's go out. And we got a connection with the Park District of Chicago who sponsored it uh, with the mayor of Chicago. And we did nine parks in Chicago. And we just took the show to neighborhoods. They asked me to write an abbreviated version, which I did. That abbreviated version ended up being done in seven cities around the country. So uh, including DC, St. Louis, New Jersey, and I forget wherever else. And then we went to Asilo in Sarasota and did a production there outside which was wonderful because then we met one of the civil rights attorneys who had actually worked with Fannie Lou Hamer. And he gave me, yeah, and he gave me more anecdotal information. And then we went to Oregon Shakespeare Festival because they also have an outdoor theater. And we did a, I don't know, eight weeks there. And then (laughs) by then the Goodman was ready to produce it inside. So we were extended the first day of opening because the ticket sales were so good in, at, in Chicago. And then um, we came out here to Seattle and did a production. And now we're going to Atlanta. Oh, fantastic. This, yes. It's so uplifting to think. Yes. Oh, finally, the recognition she has so long deserved. Yes. Yeah. I think that Every time we ran into an obstacle, and we did run into obstacles, 
I always felt like she was right there. Oh. I, I This has been a spiritual journey. Everybody that's been associated with it, from our band members to our directors and our designers, have all felt like we were on a mission and that she was guiding the mission. Hearing you talk about all of the outdoor performances, I, I wondered if that felt similar to a civil rights demonstration for for you and the cast and the crew. I mean, this force of nature as a subject of the play actually being taken outdoors. The abbreviated version very much feels like a rally and it's more focused on voting rights. And so it was like a rally. And initially when I wrote it, I wanted it to be more of a rally. And we invited the audience to sing with us because many of the songs people know, right? And so it's written with the idea of the audience being very involved and singing those songs. And then when the pandemic hit, sometimes we could not invite the audience to sing along with us. But they, nevertheless, they always did sing, even through their mask, because the, you, the songs are so, you know, of their time, of their moments of feeling united. And so that's still that sense of community and rallying together is part of the show. Oh, that's fantastic. Which songs got the most response? I'm not going to let anybody turn me around. That is one. Let's see. Certainly, Lord, uh, this little light of mine. Those are songs that people very much know. And even if you don't know, they're so simple. It's so easy to catch on. And stirring. And stirring, yes, exactly. Joy, I'm curious about how your experience performing in your one-woman show, Moments of Joy, might help you with directing the actor Robin McGee in Fanny. You know, Lois, it's interesting. I think of this all the time as this process is rolling toward our starting point. And I think it just gives me a heart for the actor. It's a heavy lift. And it's a particularly heavy lift with Fanny in a different way than Moments of Joy or other one-woman shows I've done because of who Fanny Lou Hamer was and who she will be again to new audiences. So I think the understanding how taxing it is physically and emotionally, because there are moments in this show that your heart breaks and steering the actor in a very safe way to capture what um, Ms. West has written and what Fanny lived without it becoming maudlin because it is hopeful it is joyous 
And it is hard to find that in the midst of some of the things that have happened to Ms. Hamer. So my guidance for this actor will be a gentle one as they come to wrestle, because there's also a lot of words, <laughs> wrestle with this script and this woman. And it's important to remember too, Fannie Lou Hamer had an incredible sense of humor. Yes. And so there's a lot of levity in the script as well and the, the music. So I don't know how an actress does all of that. And the actresses who have played her have always said, Cheryl, please, <laughs> what, what were you thinking? And yet, <laughs> and yet in really loving that sort of challenge of putting her on stage and and having her life be an example of courage for all the people who will attend and see that. I was waiting to hear Cheryl say that this was a journey of courage. Yeah, there is much levity. I don't want people to think that they're going to come in to see this tragic story. This woman was amazing and did not suffer rampant stupidity or fear without laughter. Without laughter. She, I think the way that she pulled audiences in was both her sense of, I am just like you. I have walked through this as well. I'm not going to give you a bunch of $20 words, but the words I give you should lift you up and lift you out of your seats and into action. And I think we're at a point, and as Cheryl was saying earlier, in our country's response to so many things. I think that this play, at least for me, it makes my heart race in certain moments. It makes me want to stand up and say, I'm ready. I'm ready, let's do the thing, you know? So I'm looking forward to helping the actor find those moments and shaping that and finding a way to engage the audience as she takes us on this journey. Director Joy Vandervoort Cobb and playwright Cheryl West. Fanny, the music and life of Fanny Lou Hamer premieres June 14th at Kenny Leon's True Colors Theater. You can find out more on our website at wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment... We'll hear about a TV series filmed in Atlanta that takes on sobriety with humor and heart. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Freeform's TV series, Single Drunk Female, does something quite impressive. It finds the humor in recovery. The show, which was filmed in Atlanta, stars Sophia Black D'Elia as Samantha Fink. Sam is a writer in her late 20s who has a spectacularly embarrassing public breakdown and is then forced to move back home to Boston to sober up and avoid jail time. Samantha's mom, Carol, is played by the one and only Ali Sheedy, and the show is written and produced by Simone Finch. The show has recently been renewed for a second season, and when City Light senior producer Kim Drobes talked with Simone, Sophia, and Ali this past February, Simone began with a brief synopsis of the show. It's basically about the first year of Samantha Fink's sobriety and how there's kind of this village around her that helps her get sober and helps her um, realize her best self. Right. And so I got to say, this is the most authentic and funny and heartfelt story of sobriety that I've really been exposed to. And I have to believe that it comes from a very real place. Simone, I've read a little bit of background. Would you mind sharing your personal history and how it relates to you creating this story? Yeah, um, I am an alcoholic, um, recovering alcoholic. And I at first started writing about a, a hot mess. It was a the time of train wreck, uh, when you could just throw away a bong and, and get sober overnight. I, hmm. I wish I could have done that, but it didn't work out for me that way. And then I, I got sober in 2014, and I realized that this story was about an alcoholic and that it was about me. And, you know, it kind of came from there. The mother-daughter relationship is really uh, me and my mother. <laughs> mm. And um, there's some stuff later in the season about the father that definitely relates to me as well. I never was arrested or uh, hit a party bus, <laughs> but there's still a lot of the authentic sober feelings are definitely from an authentic place. Yeah, the things that happen when people are addressing sobriety is really just the things that we all deal with as humans all the time and trying to be adults and communicate. But when you're used to filtering all of that through a substance, when you're sober, you have to relearn how to do that. So you've painted this picture of someone relearning how to deal with friendships and relationships and family. And it's it's all told in a very vulnerable way. Thank you. I, I was hoping that that's how it came off, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, Allie, welcome. Yes. Very happy to have you here. Thank when you. When I saw you in this role, it reminded me of your indie film, High Art, and thinking about you in that role and then what you could have pulled from your own life experience that would transfer from a role like that to being the mother of someone who's dealing with issues here. <laughs> what was that like for you? You know what? I guess going through the journey of the career, working every single role lends something to the next one. You learn something from everything. Carol is really uh, 
my mom, myself as a mom. Um, there's some other influences in there, but she's coming from the place that I am at right now at 59, which is a completely mm. different place <laughs> where I was sure. 20 years ago. So I'm bringing in all, I think all of that is coming in. That makes sense. Here's a clip of Allie as Carol in Single Drunk Female addressing Sophia's character, her daughter, Samantha. So Giovanni's, yep, I'm proud of you. Definitely did not think you could do it. I'm really sorry for crashing your car. Don't be dramatic. I was 12 years old. They don't even make parts for it anymore. So what are you gonna do? What are you doing? What? Thought you could have one glass of wine. No, no, I can't. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. I can do this though, right? That's okay? Yeah, yeah, you can do whatever you want, Mom. Phew! <laughs> not that it's a big deal or anything. That's from pretty early in the season, but it gives a good hint at the mother-daughter dynamic that's happening in the show. You know, as you hear Ali's character obliviously pouring some wine for Sam, it made me think about how other generations have addressed sobriety. Simone, do you think this story would have worked 20 to 30 years ago? I don't think it would have because we have a greater understanding of alcoholism and addiction than we did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. However, there's still a lot of stigma and there's still a lot of misinformation. I don't know, we're, we're better than we were, but I still think we have a ways to go. Yeah, understandable. Sophia, welcome. Very Hi. happy to have you here. Thank you Hi. so much for having me. Well, tell me this, as far as your background goes, would you call this one of the more comedic roles that you've had an opportunity to play? It definitely is. There's so much humor that you've brought to it. Here's a quick clip of Sophia Sam giving in to some really awkward tendencies. I'm around. No, I know. Thank you. No, of course. And I have a, have a good day and I... And I'll see you another time. And if I don't, that's totally fine too. But in the meantime, you know, stay well and take care of you. Yeah. I. What? Great delivery there, Sophia. Oh, thank you. The only really straight comedy I, I did before this job was uh, a series called The Mick um, on Fox, mm. which was sort of like jumping into the, the deep end of the pool because all of my scenes were opposite Caitlin Olson, who I consider to be <laughs> one of, if not the funniest uh, people on television. So I learned a lot from her and she sort of instilled me with the confidence that I could tackle a, a part like this. And it's just been an absolute joy. I, I really love this space, this particular comedic space. Are there any physical challenges that go along to doing a comedy where you're intoxicated for a lot of the scenes? Yeah, you know, I know that a lot of people think that drunk acting is is sort of this like really challenging thing. For me, I was way more concerned with the Boston accent. Personally, ah. <laughs> um, I think as a Jersey girl, uh, I know all too well how often people can get East Coast accents wrong and how it can feel like uh, a personal mm. affront. And so I did not want <laughs> to offend anybody. So yeah, that was the thing that kept me up at night was was more so the Boston accent. That makes sense. And that kind of brings me to the fact that this was filmed here in Atlanta, but is set obviously in Boston. It made me wonder how you guys were able to take yourself in and out of that world with such heavy Boston accents around you and then the camera turning off and everyone having Southern drawls mm -hmm. and wanting to know how y'all are feeling. Well, that was lovely, I have to say. I mean, 
it was such an amazing place to shoot. And um, I haven't filmed anything in Atlanta in a very long time. Uh, not since, you know, the beginning of my career, I think 10 years ago. And it's so amazing to see how busy it's gotten and how many productions are being shot right now. And especially at the same time as us. I mean, I think there was something like 72 productions at the same time, which is unbelievable. And oh my gosh. Yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, I, I loved shooting in Atlanta. The food was amazing. The people were lovely. Our crew was incredibly dedicated and we're all easy laughs, which is always welcome and appreciated on a comedy set. So it was great. <laughs> Very cool. Well, going back to the Boston accents, Felicia, Lily Mae Harrington, holy moly. I feel like it's safe to assume that she is a native of that region. She's from uh, she's from Cape Cod, which is a little different. Um, sometimes I would say, you know, try not to open your mouth so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be like, I get it. So I was the accent coach that would sort of, but when she was drunk, for example, that was great because like, then you can go crazy. But sometimes you had to rein her in a little bit. So you're telling me that a Cape Cod accent is even heavier than a Boston accent? It's different. Yeah, it's it's like um, the dialects of, yeah, it's a little different. I hear it, but I I can't describe it to you. (laughs) Well, let's let a clip to the describing. Here's Lily Mae Harrington as Felicia in Single Drunk Female. Okay. Hold this. Pretend like you're reading it. I could actually read it. I know how to read. Oh, great. That'll make it look much more natural. Okay, ready? Here we go. Soba Sam on the prowl. Yes, baby. Look at her. She's a real lady. She sits like a lady and reads thick ass books. Yes. Well, she is a great example of what an amazing supporting cast you guys have. You did not hold back with giving depth to all of your characters, regardless of how much screen time they get. You have some amazing background characters. There's Jojo Brown, who steals many a scene. What a fantastic (laughs) talent. Samantha, I can see you. Oh, I just, I thought I left a box back here. I hate to play the manager card, but when you're on the clock, I expect you to work the whole time. I know, I'm sorry, I haven't slept in days, okay? How many days since your last drink? Why does everybody keep asking me that? Nine very boring and miserable days. You're a newborn. You're basically in the birth canal. I don't know if you remember the birth canal, but I do. It's my first memory. Let's start with a meeting at Club 24-7. I promised your sponsor, AKA my sponsor first, that I'd keep an eye on you. I miss being a drunk. There's a lot less accountability. And Rebecca Henderson playing Samantha's sponsor, Olivia, with shout out to NPR. Thank you for writing that in there. (laughs) What? I'm Olivia Elliott, and this is Off Our Docs. You're a listener. (laughs) Big time. Big time listener. Yeah. Wow. Can't believe you're an alcoholic. Anyone can be an alcoholic. It's a disease. Yeah. I just meant like... This is a lot of stuff to get while you're drinking. Oh, I didn't get it while I was drinking. I've been sober for 10 years. But the cash and prizes don't all come at once, so don't call me next week asking me where your mortgage is. I won't. Don't even have a job. That was Rebecca Henderson as Sam's sponsor, Olivia. Simone, why NPR? NPR was the ultimate, like, and my parents made me listen to NPR. It's probably why I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And, um... (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um... 
so I thought, well, what can she, what, what is like the ultimate thing that, that Olivia can do? And I'm like, work at NPR, obviously. So there, that's where that came from. I love that. I love that's it. so funny. And then, uh, Allie, you get to play opposite of Ian Gomez a lot, who plays Bob, your interest slash boyfriend. You guys have some great comedic timing together. Are any of the scenes improvised? So Ian was given a lot of improv on the set. The scenes were written as they were written. And then on the set, there was some stuff being thrown back and forth with Ian. I think it was just a thing of trying to, the first day he worked, trying to figure out this character. Mm. And Jenny was there. Um, Simone, am I right about this? Wasn't there a lot of on the fly kind of figuring Ian out? Am I right? Yeah, there was. We we weren't 100% because um, Ian is so funny. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bob at first was so funny, but then Ian was so funny that right. we were like, oh, we have to make him funny. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Well, he certainly is funny and he has some of the silliest lines in the show. Here's a clip with Allie where they're randomly discussing ghosts. I never believed in ghosts until I saw Ghost. Love that movie. Right? Yes. And it's true, they, they are around. I have one in my house right now as we speak. I mean, he's not haunting me or anything. He's just kind of hanging out like a college roommate whose girlfriend lives in a better dorm. That's Ian Gomez as Bob in Single Drunk Female. If you're just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, and I'm speaking with Single Drunk Female's creator and writer, Simone Finch, as well as actors Sophia Black D'Elia and Ali Sheedy. Sophia, what about you? Were there scenes or particular actors you worked with on the show that you found yourself improvising with? There are people that I could improv with all day and then just have so much fun. And it also feels like it's additive, you know, to the story and not just sort of a side tangent. And other times, you know, there are moments where it feels like the writing does all the work for you. And actually, I think a lot of my scenes with Carol feel that way. I've said this to Simone many times, but I think the way that she has written the Sam and Carol dynamic and relationship is so beautiful and nuanced and specific that it's sort of all there in the dialogue, which isn't to say that Allie and I don't play and have fun because of course we do. Um, But I think for the most part, it's not a, it's not a heavy improv kind of show, you know, but we do, we do try to have fun when we can. I think if you're watching the show and you're wondering what's been made up, just look at to any scene that features John Glazer because he's, he's an improv genius. And <laughs> yes, I don't think, yes, yes. I, I don't think anything he and I have ever said to each other in the cut of the show was ever written on a page anywhere. Here's Sophia as Sam with John Glazer as Nathaniel from Single Drunk Female. your car hey, and then you're home free hey, hey. oh damn nathaniel Walking. oh hang on a second man hey. go, go. <laughs> hi wow uh sam fink yeah what are you doing in boston how have you been what's going on at buzz i'm gonna plead the fifth on your questions because i don't want anything i say to be used against me by you right you caught me been following you for months you know been videotaping everything you do actually got in your trunk on the way here i'm kidding oh that's not super funny. You maimed me. Right. Right? I had an eye patch for a month. I'm very sorry about that. Are you, though? I endured pirate jokes every day for a month. I'm going to give you a couple so you know what I lived through. Aye, aye, Captain, because of my eye. 
pretty stupid. Pretty obvious. One that was actually kind of decent. Lance Armstrong, right? That was my life for a month because of you. Right. No, I am. I am genuinely sorry. And I'm sober now, seven months. Oh. So. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, you do. Uh, you do seem less insane. Um, especially the opening scene of the pilot when I come in and I, I'm drunk and uh, he ultimately fires me. I think almost that entire scene was just rift between he and I because he kind of can't help it. It's like a, it's like a beautiful compulsion. <laughs> the meeting ended 10 minutes ago, Sam. You're late. What? Someone changed the meeting time and didn't tell me? That's messed up. Nope. It was probably Austin. Nope. That kid sucks. He's had it out for me since day one. I'm Sam, telling you, he's like genuinely very jealous. Sam, you're drunk. What? You're holding a bottle of vodka right in front of me. This is water. It's water and honestly- Can I smell it? Would it matter? Yeah, it Dude, actually does matter. It doesn't matter. I could do this job drunk, sober, juggling. I mean, come on, you name it, I could do it. This is ridiculous. We're not winning Pulitzers here, man. I don't want to, like, rain on your parade, but, like... That's Sophia as Sam and John Glazer playing Nathaniel from Single Drunk Female. Allie, Carol's scenes with Ian Gomez as Bob were so sweet and funny. You had a really good dynamic together. You know, the writing's beautiful in the show. So it would come from that, but then there was this finessing, kind of emotional finessing that I was, I was really walking a line can't really explain it, <laughs> but I was. Well, there was a really beautiful scene with the two of you guys where you're being very open and vulnerable about dating again and having sex again as right. a woman of a certain age after a long time. I love that you guys chose to include that within the story. And Simone, I was wondering about that choice. That actually came from Jenny Connor, our showrunner and executive producer. I admit that I can't speak to that yet. Um, <laughs> someday I will when I make my, and just like that with alcoholism, that's real. Just kidding. Um, so, I mean, Carol is a really multifaceted person. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, I mean, maybe Allie can speak to this too, is she's not just the mom character. Right. You know, she's her own, she's a human being who happens to be a mother. That dynamic in that scene it could have been played so many different ways. I felt when I read it and walked on the set that it was not a joke. The thing about mm -hmm. um, 30 years younger and the boudoir and blah, blah, blah. I just felt like, no, this is, there's something else going on here, very private. Um, yes. And I have got to say, Trayvon Free was directing that episode and I didn't even know him from before. <laughs> and I just went up and said, this is how, it feels to me that the dynamic of this exchange needs to go for what I'm playing with Carol and how recently, two and a half years, the, the loss of the husband and what's happened ever since then just feels like it needs to go in this direction. Here's the particular scene that we're talking about. Um, should we uh, go to your boudoir? <laughs> I have something to tell you. Okay. It's been a while for me. Uh, two and a half years, to be exact. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's okay. I've never even done it before. 
what 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 can I do to make you feel comfortable? Make me 30 years younger. Why would I do that? I want to make love to this you. You take as much time as you need, and I will be right here, not going anywhere. Ali, you mentioned that Trevon Free directed this episode. And for those who are unfamiliar, he's a multi-talented writer, director, actor, comedian. In fact, he won the Academy Award for his 2020 short, Two Distant Strangers. Ali, how wonderful that Free trusted your instincts with that scene. He got it. You know what I mean? Trayvon Free didn't even say, oh, I don't know. You know, it's a... He just said, great, go for it. Like, go from the heart, blah, blah, blah. And I felt so trusted by him. It really matters, you know? Not only that yeah. you have wonderful writing, but there's a director there that day that's going to take the cue from the actors instead of a preconceived notion of the way the script should get played. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know what I mean? I know. You, you guys mean. have a really amazing team. You've all mentioned Jenny Connor a bit for our listeners who might not be familiar. She is such an amazing talent. I know her work best from the HBO series Girls. She's done a ton of other stuff. Simone, had you ever worked with Jenny before? No, I had I had never worked with Jenny before, and I'm a new creator. And when you're a new creator, basically, they say, you know, you have to have someone supervise you, which, of course, is understandable. And they gave me this list of five women, and she was the top of the list. Mm. And I said, I want her. And they said, well, she's probably not going to do it. <laughs> I said, well, I don't care. I don't care. I said, give her the script and see what happens. And we gave her the script on Friday. On Monday, I got a call that she wanted to meet me. I went to Bloomingdale's and bought an outfit because I showed up to work in sandals and jeans. <laughs> and they said, Jenny is not going to want to work with you if you look like that. Really? And I said, okay, this is true. <laughs> true story. And I showed up and I was all dressed up and like she was all dressed up and it was like a meet cute, you know, it was really funny. So Aww. that's how that happened. Yeah. What a team you guys yeah. ended up putting together. Yeah. Sophia, yeah. how was it letting go of this role day to day? You know, I don't know that I did while we were shooting. I'm not really one of, typically one of those actors that says, you know, like I was just in it the whole time. I've never intentionally done that before. I actually am not sure why anyone would want to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems like a really bizarre thing to do to me. But I think just because of the sort of lightning speed nature of shooting a half hour, I just spent more time as Sam than myself. You know, um, mm. I was on set for pretty long hours um, and and really, really focused on this person and this very specific journey much more than my own at the time. And so I think only when it ended did I really realize how deep in it I was and I needed to kind of come home and, you know, take a month to sort of recalibrate, I think, a little bit. Single drunk female star Sophia D'Elia speaking with City Light senior producer Kim Drobes. They were joined by D'Elia's co-star Ali Sheedy and the show's creator Simone Finch. The Freeform Network just announced that the show has been picked up for a second season, and the first season is available for streaming now on Hulu. More information 
can be found on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, our series of local artists in their own words, speaking of the arts. Today, featuring abstract visual artist Paula Brett, Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of the Arts where we hear some of Atlanta's creative artists in their own words. Hi, my name is Paula Brett and I'm a visual artist. I make colorful gestural abstract paintings that evoke wonder and delight. I inherited the art gene from my father who was also an artist, but it wasn't until college where I finally dipped my toes into formal study. Switching majors from science to art after determining that five more years of physics classes was not going to be in my future. I graduated from UGA with a degree in art education and then went on to get a Master of Fine Arts from Columbia College, Chicago. I'm really motivated and inspired by the process of making a painting itself. The actual act of simply making a mark on paper or canvas is something primal and wonderful each time it happens. Colors blending, brushes moving, and watching a composition come together is absolutely thrilling to me. I want my viewer to feel like they're walking into an imaginary, fantastical place that takes them places they've never been. Like you're in a world of twisting and twirling brushstrokes and wild colors. Each painting is like a totally different environment. Some are all about big shapes and colors. You bounce from like a light pink shape and fall into a deep blue blob and then run up a staircase of little black marks and then down a mint green slide. (laughs) In another, you're in a world of like layered luminescent light that feels like you just opened a door to a magical realm. It's like an abstracted version of aura beams bursting from some beautiful cosmic light source. And in the next painting, you're underwater swimming with the most gorgeous undulating koi fish in a pond full of lush green turquoises looking up at the refracted light from under the water. I want my paintings to transport you into worlds that are a delightful mix of the beautiful world we see and the worlds we can only imagine. My process is really very intuitive. I usually start with big, bold marks and then let those lead me to the next and the next and the next. Working fast and energetic is really what I like the most, but having space all through the work for different kinds of emotions, some calm and restful areas are good too. I grew up in Atlanta and then left for about 18 years, moving around the country and abroad in different cities, but ultimately decided to come back. Atlanta has all of the things I want to raise my kids with. A great cultural arts scene, beautiful natural surroundings, and the ability to discover whatever they want to explore. Places I love to see art in Atlanta are, of course, the High Museum, the Atlanta Contemporary, and so many galleries from those around Marietta Square to Miami Circle and the West Side. Listeners can see my work in person at my studio gallery in Roswell, where I work and teach classes. And online at my website, just Google Paula Brett and you'll find me. Abstract artist Paula Brett and our series of visual artists in their own words 
Speaking of the arts, more information about Brett's work is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., author Lisa Cross-Smith tells us about her new book, Half-Blown Rose, the story of a woman remaking her life with a year of art, travel, and passion in Paris. If you missed part of today's show, you can catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Trobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.